I'm gonna fucking I'm put I'm hitting record on this because this is going in as our intro bit. <laughs> what being you talking about game developers? Yeah. So for the listeners who are just joining us mid mid discussion that I have now decided to record, Valve or Bethesda? Ed, explain your position on Bethesda. I. Uh... Uh, it's a it's a personal position, but I will forgive them a few bugs for the games that they create. Like they are so textured and kind of beautiful, and like so varied and fun. Plus, I'm so excited for Starfield, man! Starfield, the Bethesda space RPG that comes out in 2022. I'm so fucking jazzed, man! Yeah, Bethesda are the best, and Valve are an incredibly close second because of all of the services they've done to gaming. But it's Bethesda number one. Um, my position is that Bethesda, if they could make a game that works and not just say it just works and then have it not actually work, then that'd be fine. I don't think I could name you a Valve game that had game-breaking bugs three, uh, three years after development. I can name you at least six Bethesda games from the past 20 years that have got game-breaking bugs in them. Plus, I think that Bethesda's game engine is possibly the worst engine that I've ever used for any of their RPGs, whereas the Source engine is quite literally a masterpiece. And Valve also created Steam, which I know isn't a game, but like when you have Portal 1, Portal 2, Half-Life 1, Half-Life 2... Half-Life Chapter uh, 2, Chapter 1, Half-Life 2, Chapter 2. You got fucking Left 4 Dead 1 and 2. You got Team Fortress 2. You got Dota as your, as your just gaming backlog. And then you create a platform which has basically revi- uh, revitalized the entire gaming industry. Bethesda and Todd Howard can eat, my, can eat my shit. <laughs> And I'm not to say I'm not to say that Bethesda like aren't making good games. I'm just to say that when the company that made Fallout New Vegas get screwed over by Bethesda and then make a better game than anything that Bethesda released over the past ten years, which has just Whoa. been releasing Skyrim again and again and again, and Whoa. then seventy six, and then Fallout Four, which was. Bang average. Look, as long as, as long as you don't get drawn into another settlement needs your help. Fallout Four is a great game. <laughs> let us know in uh, let us know on Twitter what you think if you are a video game player. Valve or Bethesda, who made the best games, or who is the best de- game company? Yeah. Welcome in, James Pike. Hello, everybody. You, How, you, how's it going? You may recognise his beautiful voice from uh, any wig and kebab selling chip shop in the north west of England. <laughs> Ordering a smack bomb pee wet. You may also recognise him from Gridiron Extra articles and the sister pod of Franchise 33. How's it going, dude? Yeah, it's going pretty good. A lot of things have changed since the last time I, uh, I joined the show. Um, I've now got a beautiful child who is the, of the four-legged and uh, furry kind. Ah, I got lovely. married. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, got married congratulations. Well. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you very much. 
very much, guys. Um, I also, of course, started the uh, franchise 33 NFL show. I would like to throw my uh, take the uh, take the lead on that one. But most importantly, most importantly, I have a better microphone now. So hopefully, you can actually you can actually hear me better than the last time I was on the um, the last time I was on Stiff Upper Lip. It's been the- a while. The good news is, is that um, as I was saying, we we put up with auditory issues from uh, one of our hosts usually, and now a guest has shown up who has also now eclipsed one of our hosts. So yeah, we, we, guest we, for the professional setup. Yeah, we've readapted. We've readapted our Clefton uh, Chiller Appeal Appeal Fund to specifically go in towards Sam to get a new microphone that isn't attached to his headset. So. <laughs> That's uh, that's the joy. We also have a, a slight change around here. Um... Hello, 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 and welcome to Stiff Upper Lip Podcast, the NFL podcast by Brits. We are in partnership with Gridiron Extra, and we are returning for our third season. So, yeah, on we begin with me, Ed. Me, Emma. I'm Sam. I'm Max Saito. And I'm Tom. Look at that. How snazzy is that? Everyone can hear it. He's James. Yeah, one of these days Emma will do an episode as well. We are uh, waiting for the day, but it is coming. I was yeah. There's there's sort of been like an extended hiatus, but hopefully we can get her back on the show at some point in the nearest future. Um, to talk ball for a second. In fact, actually, before we talk ball, James, weigh in on the quick debate from uh, from the start of the show. Bethesda or Valve? Who makes the best games? Um, I'm not. I'll be honest. I'm not really much of a gamer, so I can't really comment on that one. Okay. I'll be honest. I've right. got time for these things, you know. That that makes sense. <laughs> Too busy. That's what happens when you get a wife, man. When you get a wife well, and a dog, that's that's your life changes for the better, and you suddenly stop ignoring all of these petty squabbles. Let's say for the better, because Rio's currently destroying all of the pillows on the bed. <laughs> he's, he's just doing his thing. Is is. <laughs> Is he named Rio after the footballing uh, icon, or after the hit DreamWorks film Rio, or after the Brazilian city? No, it's Rio Wellard from Tracy Beaker. Duran Duran. No, it's actually because he likes to dance in the sand. Brilliant. Marvellous. There we go. (laughs) You heard it here first, that's the Stiff Upper Lip exclusive. Anyway, a whole bunch... Here he is. Oh yes. Here he is. Oh. Rio. Can't really see him. He looks oh. thrilled to be here. <laughs> oh. What breed is Rio? He is a sprocker. Oh. Oh. So as you can imagine, handful. He is absolutely bonkers. Yep. Yes. <laughs> oh yes. There. There was plenty of football that went on this weekend. Hopefully everyone's feeling ready and prepared to get right into the nitty-gritty. Because, uh, oh boy, Ed finally gets to be the one that feels remotely happy about this weekend. Good yeah, job. I'm, I'm coming at this place from a, a feeling other than sort of misery, and it's nice. You know, <laughs> This is why I became a podcast host. It's nice to talk about victories. I like it. We'll get there in a second. Plus, we had everything that happened yesterday in the Eagles-Cowboys game and everything else that happened on Sunday. And I think that we start 
with Colts Titans, which was a nice easy game to get us right out of the doors and get us out of the uh, week three early window quickly. So, listeners may or may not recall that preseason Tom picked the Indianapolis Colts as his Super Bowl favorite. Yeah. The 0 3 <laughs> Indianapolis Colts. So, my thinking behind that uh, swiftly changed when Carson Wentz pulled up with a Liz Frank injury about three weeks later, and it hasn't really, <laughs> it hasn't really gotten any better since. Um, just a just an overall poor day from the Colts, um, beaten twenty five to sixteen by the Tennessee Titans, who found some form through Derrick Henry's legs, as pretty much was expected. Um, I have nothing else to say other than I'm looking at a big fat L on uh, on my early early window predictions. You know, the past two games, Derrick Henry's had seventy two touches of the football. I'd say it's not sustainable, but it's Derrick Henry. It's it's completely sustainable. I'd probably say for the Titans, it's probably seventy-two touches, two two less, two not enough. I'd probably <laughs> say if only, if only double that if they're going to um, continue to dominate like they have in the, like this week. Uh, perhaps so, but I mean AJ Brown's not looked himself because Max is a huge AJ Brown fan, and I think we all like him. But he doesn't quite seem to have the same ability to go through guys that he did last year. Well, he pulled up with a um, with a hamstring injury sort of early on in this game, right? Maybe that'll yeah, have deflated his numbers. Um, they missed the uh, they missed the second half, didn't they? Yeah. Mm. Uh, plus, I think it was probably always going to happen. Like they they signed Julio Jones in the off season. Um, I don't think that their offensive line is quite as good as it was last year at sort of protecting Ryan Tannehill in that play-action game. Plus, teams have sort of started to figure out what the Titans are going to do under this variable uh, offense. Arthur Smith's not there to sort of coach the offensive side either. There are things that have changed. AJ Brown, maybe not the bell cow wide receiver, um, but... If the Titans can lean on Derrick Henry 72 times over two weeks, then expect some kind of uh, offensive output. I don't I don't know if I'd say that any of the AFC South, based off of now, are uh, going to make a deep run in the playoffs, though. That's my only point. I've, I've, no. I've learned from my, um, from my pre-season prediction that I shouldn't have trusted anyone in the AFC South. Well, apart from the Texans when Tyrod Taylor's playing. <laughs> you know what Tyrod Taylor's well, going to be doing. I, you know what? I am quite worried about the Titans because obviously we saw last year in the um, in the playoff defeat to the Ravens, like the blueprint to beat them. And I know we've joked about Derek Henry's, uns- like, if it, is it unsustainable? I do believe that it it kind of is. At mm. this moment in time, it, it, they can't continue to just give the ball to him forty times a game because eventually he is going to break down at some point. Where did he go from there? Because they can't really stop anybody on defense at the moment, which is the biggest concern for me. Yeah, I mean, me and Max. I think this might remain on the cutting room floor, but me and Max talked a lot about the fact that the te- the Titans' defense sort of the like individuals seem to be regressing. 
Like, for me, the the big name is Kevin Bayard. Like, Kevin Bayard a couple of years ago was, like, an outstanding safety, whereas now he's kind of, to me, just like a warm body at the position. I think the same is true. Like, players like Harold Landry's never really come through. The linebackers, not really... Like, they're NFL caliber, and they'll they'll, they'll probably make the playoffs, but they I don't think they have the quality and depth defensively. You're absolutely right. Yeah, so I think it's... Well, as well as that, I think that um, I think that Ryan Tannehill is gonna have to get more involved than just being the, the play action pass guy. I think he's gonna have to start um, trying to beat teams more himself. Now, whether he's cap- whether or not he's capable of doing that, I'm not sure. But we'll have to wait and see on that one. I do think that it's going to be the Titans division but I can't see anything else apart from like a divisional right or a wild card weekend exit for them I really can't even if they're at home I I think I agree with uh, with that sort of projection for the Titans although I pretty much I I do like to think of week five being the first week where we actually really start learning how these teams are going to be for the rest of the year I feel like there's still too much flipping and flopping going on um, early doors, you sort of see a good performance one week, a bad one the next, and you don't really know what to believe. Um, shall we move? I think I know enough about the Colts now. Mm, yeah, although they have, to be fair, like Rams, Seahawks, Titans, to come out of that with three losses, I don't think that that's like exactly going to indicate that they're going to all of a sudden end up with like a 4 and 13 record. They have had two like three very tough games. You know how Russell Wilson chucks it when it's early doors in the season and like the weather's warm. You know how the LA Rams are playing based off of the rest of the season. And the Titans woke up with Derrick Henry last week and came storm rolling back in through uh here against the Colts. There's sort of it's a, it's a tricky start to the season with like bits still to learn i know jonathan taylor didn't get very many touches of the ball here there's a lot that will change for the colts i believe but yeah i i'm not i'm not gonna go out on a limb and say that they're going deep in the playoffs anymore but they sure as hell won't be quite as bad as they have sort of had their record reflect anyway Let's move on to two teams that have been as bad as their record reflects. As the Atlanta Falcons beat the uh, New York Giants. Um, and I wouldn't say beat. I'd probably say more outlasted. Yeah. New York Giants. <laughs> yeah. It's... Yeah. The Giants After were obviously... Sorry, yeah, I was just going to say the Giants losing all three wide receiver talents that they had finally let Kadarius Tony um, have some snaps so that he stops bitching on Twitter about it and they turn it into absolutely nothing so that tells you everything that you need to know about the Giants offense today yeah I, I was giving it large 55 minutes in because I, I predicted a tie on our predictions league for this week James on the Falcons Giants <laughs> I thought I thought you know what if this, this might be head in tie but then the Falcons have too much Matty Ice in them to. I don't know. It's it, it, it comes down to trust, right? And I, I still trust Matty Ice. It's I it's don't trust Daniel Jones. 
It's tricky with Matty Ice, because at this stage in his career, you can definitely tell that he's, like, over the hill, but at the same time, like, we all still like the guy. We still think that, like, when he was at his peak was one of the more underrated NFL quarterbacks. But there has been a very obvious regression over the past, like, ten months or so. Um, Maybe that is losing Julio and Kyle Pitts was surprisingly sparse on the targets today um only two with 35 yards as well plus also i mean me and max will attest to this the moment that cordero patterson gets involved in your offense more than like five times is the moment that you lose any sort of semblance of like an actual um offensive scheme and you just sort of hand it to a quick guy and let him run but he got like another right. six. He got like another six targets. They went for eighty-two yards, but that's just basic kick return returns. What do you think, James? Are you are you ready to call Cordero Patterson the breakout running back of the year yet, or <laughs> um, he might be for a fantasy perspective, but I don't know from like actual, you know, relative productive NFL play points of things. Um, what I will say, I just want to say very quickly, when you you touched on Kyle Pitts, Tom. Yeah. Um, I think uh, I think the Falcons are using him all wrong. Like they need to kind of take a, a play out of, the, of Florida's book from last year in in the fact that kind of just using him as a tight end at the minute. They're not really being very creative in how they use him. Like I would, if you've got a guy six six and two hundred and fifty pound who can run like a four four forty, why not just match him up with a guy outside? down the sideline and just get the ball up to him yeah or like I don't know why they seem to insist on him having sort of like a shorter passing game input when we saw what he could do in preseason he is an athletic freak especially when he's like going in straight lines like he's a good route runner anyway but he does have freakish speed for a guy that size why not just have him match up against like any linebacker or have him match up against like any cornerback or any safety stop trying to have him be like right off the line of scrimmage and doing regular tight end routes I mean I think as well like how many red zone targets has he had um, not many Sabine like why wouldn't you target this guy in the red zone you know he's well I know that the Falcons don't get there very often but mm-hmm. at the same time when you're there yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. It's a really astute point. Um, all I would say is it's Fal- it's the Falcons, isn't it? Like, yeah. With respect, again, with respect to Mighty Ice, you you kind of you know what you get with Arthur Blank, especially on offense, and like he he was very good at scheming plays for Derek Henry and Ryan Tannehill. But you then, mean Arthur like, Smith? What did I say, Arthur Blank? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the the authors. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's that situation where maybe maybe they'll take a sudden leap with how they use Kyle Pitts. But yeah, he's essentially a, a big-bodied wide receiver. He's not like I don't know Jack Doyle's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Apart from that, I really don't have anything else to add on this. Has anyone else got any further points other than Kyle Pitts is being used weird and the Giants and Falcons are both kind of crap? Free Daniel Jones. Free him from that terrible organisation. 
Yeah, but I don't know whether or not I'd say that Daniel Jones has earned enough to say that he should be freed. Like, anyone that gets put with Adam Gase should be freed immediately. So there's, like, that call was obviously there for Sam Darnold. But, like, has Daniel Jones shown any promise apart from that one game against the Bucks in his rookie year? 80% of what Daniel Jones does is promising. It's just the other 20% of the map. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm, I've been a big uh, a big fan of his throughout the entire offseason and the start of this season. I just I think there is just there is a great young quarterback bubbling underneath the surface of the incredible mediocrity of New York, the New York Giants. It's just I just need him to get free and do something or but yeah. The way I, the way I like to sort of judge is, um, do you actually want to back up the statement of free the young promising quarterback? Is would you take Daniel Jones at the Patriots? He's got another Jones. Oh, you see, we've already got a a useless Jones at quarterback. We don't need another. (laughs) (laughs) Are you off? Are you off the Mac Jones train already? No. Um, well, it was it was his first disappointing game, I'd say, this week. But um, we'll get to that when we get to the Patriots. So no, we may I'll, as well. Save yeah, we'll, we'll may, may as well just pivot right over there to the Saints twenty-eight, Patriots thirteen, and uh, yeah, fire away on Mac Jones. So I will say that I think. I think the uh, the receivers let him down quite a bit because there was obviously the one the one interception I think it was the pick six was the uh, it was a tip drill which mm-hmm. you know, passed that the receiver really should have been catching um, and then that was obviously taken back into the end zone um, our offensive line was pretty poor this week I think it was really really poor they didn't give Jones the protection it needed he needed again but the Saints have a pretty good defensive line so mm. it's kind of equal to even itself out but the problem for me I think is that there's not enough not enough play calling down the field and I think that's what's going to cost us at this at this juncture in the season because know that the Patriots are going to want to try and work the middle of the field they're going to want to try and work those short and intermediate routes um, try and just steadily move the ball up the field and what the Saints did really well on Sunday is they took that away from Daniel Jones and f- said you know what and beat us down down the sideline when you've got um, Lattimore guarding Nelson Aguilar it's just mm-hmm. I think they had the perfect strategy um, Daniel Jones didn't play great I think it was you just a really poor all right performance Mac or Mac Mac Jones <laughs> <laughs> got Danny Dimes on yeah. the brain Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just a yeah poor performance all around, and I think we uh, we're going to have to improve this week if we um, have any chance of beating Brady in the books. But ah oh, well, it was an interesting game. That it's is, a... I mean, anything strange things happen at Foxborough. One thing that oh, I yeah. do just just while we're there, what does it feel like as a Patriots fan about to welcome Tom Brady back to Foxborough? Do you know um, when Stoke were in the Premier League? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I feel like New England are this season. We we are Stoke of the early 2010s. You know what, you know what we're going to be? We're going to be um, 
not going to play very fancy. We're not going to play stylish football, but we're always going to potentially put ourselves in in games against big teams. And I feel like that's what's going to happen this week. I think it's going to be like we're going to grit and grind our way to being at least competitive, especially with the coaching of Bill Belichick, because he'll know Brady better than anyone. But mm. I don't know. I just, yeah, I think it's going to be a tough week for us. To take away all of the analytical points, though, what does it feel emotionally as a Patriots fan who's obviously admired Tom Brady for six years? Well, six Super Bowl rings in 20 years. Gonna be a bit, it's going to be bittersweet because obviously I'm, I'm happy for him and I want him to succeed still. I'm not one of these bitter Patriots fans who's like, oh, he's trash, adult. He's, he's a system. He's only doing great because of the team that's around him. No, I do want... It's going to be bittersweet because he is great, but at the same time, it's it's wondering what could have been. Mm. Seeing him coming into Foxborough, it's like we did spend all this money this past season and try to improve the team. Why couldn't we have done that with Tom around, who's always you know, taken a bit less money to help the team get better? Why couldn't we have done that when he was still around? It's it's going to be a little bit it's going to be weird seeing him in that situation, but I welcome him back to Foxborough. So, for some reason, basically, for, for James... Tom's manager at work, we nickname him Champagne Sam because he's a Champagne Patriots fan, but for some reason in my mind you're not Champagne James. <laughs> oh no, I'm here for all of the suffering and all of the abuse I'm going to get for the next like 10 years when we're going to be the, the third best team in the um, in the AFC East. At least we'll always be the third best team, we'll never be as bad as the Jets. So that's that... one thing to take solace very true. Um, I just want to quickly mention uh, Famous Jameis and his Apple Turnover Bakery. Um, he's having a really <laughs> weird year so far. Has anyone seen his stat line through the first three games? Ridiculous, isn't it? It's like he, silly, isn't it? He has two wins with seven touchdowns and two interceptions and 387 total yards. This is a guy that had 5,100 total yards uh, and was the first quarterback to have 30-plus touchdowns and 30-plus interceptions in a season. What the fuck I is... Mean, who is this man? This isn't Jameis Winston. This is this is Sean Payton just being like, I can do what I want. Like, <laughs> it's just like playing out on a grand scale. <laughs> I think Sean Payton's told him, right, no matter what you do, don't make any stupid throws, but Jameis, oh, nine out of his ten throws are stupid, so he's just not making it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be honest, like, if we're actually being frank, the offense is reminiscent of the Breeze offense of, like, a couple of years ago when he couldn't throw more than 30 yards, because, yeah, like... They rarely take a deep shot. They took one right at the end of the Packers game, and I think that that's the only one that... Apart from the two awful picks against the Panthers, yeah, they aren't they aren't hurling it deep. I mean, they are missing weapons at the minute, the Saints. They are missing some of the top weapons. Yeah. So maybe that's part of it. Yeah, true. I mean, Kenny Stills is actually having meaningful snaps in the NFL again, so that that tells you everything you need to know about the Pan uh, the Saints offense. Um yeah. So just me, Kenny Seals sounds a lot like a brand of like moonshine whiskey. Yeah. 
Absolutely. <laughs> Million percent, yes. Anyway, shall we move on? Let's do it. Uh, I want to I wanna go to uh, another one of the rookie quarterbacks. We're going to go to Bears at Browns, where the Cleveland Browns did what pretty oh, much man. was expected um, and absolutely minced the Bears' offense. 26-6. Um, to 6. The Browns didn't really need to do very much on offense. They just sort of had everything going their way. The Bears had one net passing yard, uh, 68 passing yards, 67 sack yards on nine sacks. I can see why Fields was not intended to start early doors, purely because against anyone with a pass rush, that Bears O-line cannot hold in the slightest. No. I mean, obviously, Tom and his Tom and his arguments with PFF are well known, but like to have four O linemen under a PFF grade of fifty, that's a recipe for disaster. And Miles Garrett and company had an absolute field day. Yeah, Fields Day. Yep, nice. Um, <laughs> I didn't do that on purpose. I <laughs> um, but yeah, our our assessment of Justin Fields as a as a one read and rush guy. Like, I hope he doesn't stay that way. Like, I hope he adds more to his game because he's a he's a tantalizing prospect, right? Because he's it, like schematically, he looks a decent fit. They just cannot protect him, and he is so scared that they can't protect him that he if he doesn't find his first read. He immediately tries to scramble. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't even as though I don't I don't think that he made any mistakes. He just genuinely didn't have any opportunity to have any good plays either like six for 20 with no picks but no touchdown it's just such a an underwhelming passing performance and obviously like he has to take off three times but the amount of sacks that he he ate it it's not sustainable in the slightest i mean we saw what joe burrow had to deal with last year you gotta protect him or keep him out of the game i mean i know that dalton is their guy going forward i actually now that i've seen what fields has done with like any pass rush in his face i agree keep dalton in there for a year and have fields sit um yeah not a great day for the bears off, uh, offense didn't really Did get much the, chance defensively either you see the statistic of how long like how long fields had throw the ball like the, nope. the average time nope 0.78 seconds Oof. that's probably like the average time he had to throw the ball okay. yeah. I mean how much of that is on Nagy right because I mean a lot of it I think oh, yeah 2018 just just to quickly sort of mention by the way 2018 was a weird year where you had Mitchell Trubisky as the comeback player of the year and in the Pro Bowl and you had Matt Nagy as the coach of the year, that's that's the, those are the two of the three recent awards in the trophy cabinet. You've got comeback player of the year, coach of the year, and, and then, MVP. Course, last year, the MVP. Yeah, <laughs> they might not even make it to the Nickelodeon wildcard game at this point because they need to have some kind of offensive output that isn't just David Montgomery. I mean, to flip it over on the Browns. Did, did anyone learn anything about the Browns here? Uh, JOK is incredibly good, and the Eagles passing on him for Devonta Smith is uh, 
uh, well, most teams passing on him if they were able to pick. Um, yeah, I it's not. I mean, especially the Eagles because the the Eagles haven't drafted a linebacker high since like the seventies. But yeah, anyone who missed on JOK, we've said this already. He was one of my draft darling. I adored JOK coming out. So doubly for me. But yeah, we I, I guess we learned JOK was good, but we kind of knew that already. Yeah, and the rest of it was just. It was just such a nice, easy day for the for the Browns. Like they didn't have to do anything spectacular. They just had to play solid football. And when you've got Chubb Hunt, OBJ had a nice day. Donovan Peoples Jones had a pretty good day. Kareem Hunt had like a a pretty good like receiving touchdown on like a screen. Miles Garrett had like a monstrous four point five sacks day. But none of that is like anything that you can really take going forward as like new information we sort of already knew that the this browns team was good so i'd go along with that anyway what we'd call a controlled demolition yeah it's uh just sort of and i wouldn't even say that there was any like standout highlight plays like uh in the next game that i want to sort of make, uh, bring up um ravens at lions where Justin Tucker broke the NFL record and smashed it round the face of Ford Field and every single person inside because holy shit, 66 yards, clutch as fuck, Justin Tucker, welcome to Kicking Elite. Get him in the Hall of Fame, baby. He's the GOAT, man. He is. He's the greatest kicker of all time. This is the record. Justin Tucker's leg should have a whole wing in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but it's just a, a just a phenomenal kicking performance from Justin Tucker. And to be honest, it's probably the only bit of actual important football that was played here in the rest of this game. It was it was incredibly close. Neither team looked great. It seemed to be ignoring all of their key weapons. I actually think that Detroit did a really good job in neutralizing Baltimore's weapons. Like, I wasn't expecting Detroit to make it a game. Yeah, I'll go along with that. I was really impressed with Detroit's pass rush. They did seem to, Mm -hmm. like, really, every time they just seemed to be in Lamar's face, that really shocked me, to be be fair. Mm -hmm. It's also the way they kind of layered it as well, because it was one of those things where there was always a guy, not necessarily, like, a spy, but there was always a guy ready to be on Lamar should he look like he was going to scramble do you know what I'm saying like Mm -hmm. I don't think they were out and out QB spying him on every play but he didn't have the escape lanes he normally does yes I uh, that was pretty much what I sort of saw as well and and it made for a really tricky tricky day for um, Lamar Jackson I mean he still had 285 plus uh, passing yards Um, he should have had a touchdown um well, he should have had a second touchdown. He had one already, but there was a real bad drop from Marquise Brown, who I've I've been sort of pushing that Marquise Brown is not a good player. Like he's he's fine, but with where the Ravens drafted him, I think I'm ready to say he's a bust. Like his stats for this season have been inflated by what was an awful Chiefs secondary performance in a very good Ravens day anyway last week but 
Hollywood Brown isn't anything better than what I would expect out of anyone else on this Ravens team. And Devin Duvernay looks like the better wide receiver to me. What are your thoughts on that, James? Because that's coming from a very... I'm not going to say a biased perspective. Yeah, you know what? I am going to say a biased, a biased perspective. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to refute this. Tell me where Hollywood Brown has impressed in any game. Oh no, I'm 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 in agreement. It's just that as a as <laughs> as an impartial guy, my words have more weight in this when I say I don't like Hollywood Brown. <laughs> um, I just think that at the moment I'm willing to give him a one more chance at the minute because just the same as last season, apart from Duvernay, he's the only person there. Um, I mean, Mark Andrews. Well, well, Mark Andrews has been very quiet at the start of this season as well, hasn't he? It's just, which has been a bit, bit weird. He's not really had one of those big performances that we usually see from him early on. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that once the once the players start to come back, um, obviously Sammy Watkins and the the first round pick Bateman, when he comes into the into the uh, into the fold, I think that it will help and take the pressure off Brown, and he can probably fit the role better that he's more supposed to be in. But yeah, I think he's, he's flawed as a prospect, and he was flawed as a prospect when he came into the league. But they're, they're not not really had much of a chance just yet, I'd say. <laughs> You're kinder than we are. You are a lot kinder than we are. I mean, Watkins had 68 <laughs> yards here today. Mark Andrews had 109. Um, speaking, I mean, speaking of things that are fundamentally flawed, we should touch briefly on Detroit's offense. Like, okay. That is, I mean, it's a sad show with Jared Goff. Like, I I don't know. You you look at. It's not. A, I don't. I don't mean to just dunk on the Lions. I know it sounds like I am, but like, this isn't a team that I want to watch. Other than the two games where they play Minnesota, like that. At no point this year is it going to be interesting viewing really to watch Detroit and that's kind of sad because like like you say that defence held Baltimore in that game it's just a shame the offence really isn't looking like an NFL standard offence I agree on that front I mean they didn't even really try and get TJ Hawkinson involved and TJ Hawkinson is probably the best player on that offense by a country mile like DeAndre Swift is good don't get me wrong but Hawkinson is one of the probably premier pass catching tight ends in the league this year it's just that the rest of that team is not good enough to support him almost I think it's a similar thing that I had with Goff at the Rams I think he was Instead of just using his going to his his best weapons when he was at the Rams, you know, he'd he'd find, try and go to like the third or fourth string receiver when you've got Cooper Cup and Robert Woods. Mm-hmm. It's it's the same kind of thing here. He's got his best two receivers, uh, DeAndre Swift and T.J. Hawkinson, and he's not targeting them. It just doesn't doesn't make sense to me. It's the similar type. That's the the reason why I didn't like him at the Rams. It's the reason why he's kind of frustrated a little bit to start with the Lions mm-hmm. um, what I will say very quickly about the Lions and it's probably, you may or may not agree with this but I think from the start of the season they had, they are going to upset someone eventually and I think they are going to win a couple more games than they should because 
it has been a really tough start to the season for mm-hmm. them and they have played pretty well I'll give them credit for, but I, I just do think they are going to win a couple of extra games than maybe people think they are yeah I mean they're a, they're a hot, like record breaking kick away from winning this one I think the Lions as a whole I agree will win more games it's just that I don't know whether or not it'll be because of um, I don't I don't trust Jared Goff to be the guy that gets them there and also like just to quickly sort of touch upon exactly what you said about um, going to like the third or fourth choice I mean I know that coming into the year Quintez Cephas wasn't exactly like the top of anyone's depth chart at wide receiver for the Lions but he yeah. he for the first two games looked really good he got two targets today with one catch it for some reason they just chose to ignore him again and it was like Hawkinson and Cephas had made the offense run in the past game for two weeks and then they just decide that nope we're not gonna we're not gonna focus on any of that we're gonna have uh, Khalif Raymond and Darren Fells take over this time <laughs> and it's like I don't trust any of those guys trust the guys that have trust you've trusted already they showed that they could do it <laughs> Alan Poe that's what it is I mean yeah I mean like the fact that I'm asking the Lions to target Quintez Cephas because he's probably the most reliable pass-catching wide receiver that they have tells you how sort of iffy their wide receiver ranks are. But even still, you gotta you got to trust what you're seeing out of these guys. That's just my sort of takeaway on this one. I think they are going to when Danny Amendola is your second best receiver in 2021 it says everything that you need to know realistically doesn't it a little bit yeah anyway let's uh let's move away from from this one let's go to cards jags where another kick related highlight play in what was a very sort of underwhelming day how many times have you seen a kick, re- uh, sorry, a field goal attempt returned for a touchdown in the NFL? I've seen it once in college. That is it. Kick six. Well, it shouldn't happen. It it shouldn't fucking happen. Whose decision was that? No idea. They have to, take, they have, to have a it's look at themselves team. in the mirror. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I mean... Um, this is a team that's got... Sorry, Tom, go on. I was just going to say, uh, just quickly, uh, the the Raiders, I remember trying a sort of 70-yard field goal attempt when they had Sebastian Janikowski, who does have a booming leg, and they got, like, murdered for it just because there was the potential for something like this to happen. The Cardinals just oh, did yeah. it. I mean, Matt Prater's got a decent leg. Like, let's not take away from Matt Prater, but it wasn't, it was never getting there. Oh. I mean, especially when you've got I mean, what what was the defining play from DeAndre Hopkins last season? The, that, that crazy Hail Mary catch over four Buffalo defend, Buffalo defenders? Yep. Why not just lob it up there to, to Hopkins and see what he can do? <laughs> just made no sense, that play, at all. Yeah, you're, abs- you're absolutely right. I mean, any fourth down is manageable when Kyler's there. Like, I... Yeah. So many things. Jamal Agnew is the special teams player of the year already by the way <laughs> yes I it's close between him and Tucker 
Yeah, I mean, guess I guess Tucker, but like, it's. But that that was the only incident in what was otherwise a very very. Just. Turgid game, you know. It lacked. It lacked. The Cardinals spice. weren't at their best to. Yeah, the Cardinals weren't at their best to beat the Jags, and the Jags didn't have to be rubbish to be beaten by the Cardinals, and they weren't. It was just kind of like. It was another. It was another game that James Robinson didn't do himself any favors. It was another game where the the offensive play call certainly didn't do him any favors. But I just, I'm already sick of watching Jacksonville games. Mm-hmm. I think it might be because also Trevor last Lawrence. year they were so turgid and they've come out. They've come out relaxing again. What are your What are your view? Because We've been fairly we've been fairly um, open about our disapproval of Urban Meyer, James. What are your thoughts? It's it's pathetic. He's he's been terrible so far. I mean the the play calling. What you guys listening to your show um, the other day when I was walking Rio and you're saying like when he has we has 15 plays. It just seems like that. Mm-hmm. You've got all this whole host of weapons and all these different all these different players that you've got who can potentially change the game. I mean, even Marvin Jones, he's, he's getting up there in age. He's a he's still a good NFL wide receiver. DJ Chark. Um, LaVisca Chenault. Yeah, LaVisca Chenault. They just need to be a bit more creative with the play calling. I think that that is the biggest, that is the biggest thing. And I don't think that Urban Meyer is the right man for mm-hmm. the job. I don't think he's ever going to be a great NFL head coach. But it's... I just don't know what to make of Jacksonville season. I think it's going to be a very long and difficult one, but it's just a learning curve for Tre- for Trevor Lawrence this year. That's my thoughts on Jacksonville anyway. Yeah, I mean, especially with the play call in the day. I mean, Buddy Murphy had uh, sorry, Byron Murphy had a um had a pick six which was on just a just a real mess of a play call. I mean, it was they tried to sort of was it a flea flicker? that went horribly wrong and then he yeah. tried to throw it away to the right hand side and Byron Murphy just immediately picks it off it was a weak throw but the offensive line hasn't been good anyway why are you trying to flea fic- uh, flicker when you're down and it's not like the Cardinals defense is a bad defense like they're old but they're not a bad defense no they've, they've seen flea flickers before and they've seen good teams before <laughs> Like, yeah. I Yeah, I think I think we move on from this game now. Yeah, I agree. Um anyway, on to say is that... Oh go on. So very quick, the one thing is that Jacksonville are one of the like four teams in the league who are in the Joel Brady sweepstakes for next year. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um does anyone think that I know that Urban Meyer's come out and said that he's not gonna take the is it UNC job? But does anyone think that he's actually going to follow through with the rest of this Jags year? <laughs> I um, don't know. Make it to the end of the season. I think if, like, if Joe Brady is available and ready, I think you've got to take the the chance on him. Yeah, in my opinion. I agree. Um, and also, Maybe. just uh, do you think that in a desperate attempt to keep his job, 
like AEW will suplex him through a table. <laughs> I, I would pay to see that. Oh, <laughs> maybe he can get his brand new tight end Dan Arnold, who they traded for by sending CJ Henderson last year's first round pick. Everyone. <laughs> They traded C.J. Henderson for what is essentially pennies. I know Sam Dar- uh, like Dan Arnold and Sam Darnold have been like a pretty decent connection this year. But Jesus Christ, I wouldn't say that Dan Arnold's worth sending your first round cornerback for. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I'm, James knows my thoughts on C.J. Henderson. <laughs> I'm feeling a lot better about my prediction for him having a breakout year now. I just didn't say it was ever going to be in Jacksonville. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a great move for the Panthers. They get they get a replacement for J.C. Horn, who was going to probably miss most of the year with a broken... Was it broken foot, broken ankle? But... Yeah, broken foot. C.J. Henderson for Dan Arnold and, like, a swap of third and fifths. What the fuck's that all about? C.J. Henderson can't tackle. Um, I'll pound this table until <laughs> my fist hurts, all right? The kid can't tackle, like... Bless him, he's a decent cover corner, but he's not got the physicality to play in the NFL. I think it's a great deal for the Jags, if I'm being honest. To be fair, playing for the Panthers this season, you only have to cover you only have to cover someone for two seconds. You don't have to tackle anybody. Yeah, I'm about to say Jeremy Chin. So good. They got everyone else perfectly fine. <laughs> anyway, let's move on to uh, Washington at Bills, where. You're just prolonging the suffering, Tom. I am. It's inevitable. I am. Just let me prolong it a little bit further. I'm not quite ready yet. Um, The Bills uh, just uh, turbo-stomped the Washington football team. There's very little else to say. Josh Allen had an absolutely ridiculous day. Um, (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. Anti-vaxxer Cole Beasley was... Yeah. Max will be here later on, and um, well, hopefully, anyway. So he will hear it from himself that uh, his prediction has aged like stale milk in the sun, and Josh Allen has again <laughs> continued doing what Josh Allen did last year. I'm a bit annoyed with Josh Allen this week, but simply <laughs> because if he hadn't played so well, Kirk would have been the best player this week. but i will say that like josh allen had another tremendous josh allen game he you know how we sort of talk about qbs like patrick mahomes can make throws that no other player can make Mm -hmm. like lamar can make scrambles that no other player can make brady can make pre-snap reads that no other qb can make i think that josh allen has the ability to hang in there like no other qb can Mm -hmm. like he can't He's almost feels to me like you know the John Elway comparisons. Yeah, it's like a mobile, it's like a mobile Philip Rivers. Like that is what he is, right? He's a mobile Philip Rivers. I think I can see that, and, like, and that's fucking exciting, man. I am so in. I am so <laughs> all in on this on this Bills team. But that's fact, all. The thing that's the thing that's scarier about the Bills this season is that they think it looks like they've figured out to get that defence back to where it was a couple of years ago as well. That's mm-hmm. the terrifying thing about it. Yeah, I mean... Matt Milano is playing out of his skin this year. Uh-huh. 
Absolutely. Uh, Tremaine Edmonds also had a pretty good day. Micah Hyde had an interception. Jordan Poyer had an interception. They've got pieces there again. This We've is... not even mentioned Trey White, who is maybe the best corner in football. Like I like him an awful lot. Uh, yeah, he's definitely up there for me as well. Um, they're just, they are built incredibly well, this Bills team. Um, I think if this, if last year was a sort of teaser trailer, this year is going to be the main event. I think that the Bills, if they can hold on and keep going and maybe get a little bit more production out of like Singletary and Moss by the, uh, by the time the playoffs roll around, because I know that December and January football are two different sports to September football, and you got to get that running game going. But yeah, with that defense and Josh Allen back there, and the amount of pieces they have at wide receiver, that is a team that could go incredibly deep. I mean, they're gonna go nuclear. Nuclear is like imagine as well. You you know how every year there's like one disgruntled star that knows their team isn't gonna make the playoffs. Yes, and they. They asked for a trade week six. Mm-hmm. Like, where where is anyone going to go but Buffalo? Yeah. Dallas, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, yeah. <laughs> With the way it's but, going so far, maybe. But... They have to pay estate tax in Dallas. Very <laughs> <laughs> <Right>, true. <laughs> um, yeah. Just to quickly sort of give a tiny mention to the uh, to the Washington football team. I mean, I know that there's not very much to sort of mention here, but Antonio Gibson had a, a very, very nice 73-yard touchdown re- uh, re- reception. That's pretty much it, really. It was a great it was a great catch and run. Did incredibly well to get that far. Dived in. Great work. That's it. Yeah. I'm worried about Washington this year. I really am. Is it because they have? Is it because they have Tyler Heineke at quarterback? I don't even think it's that. I think it's the defense. They're the thirty-first, thirty-first ranked defense in the league. And considering like what we was talking about them before the season, I think that there's a massive concern there. They just seem can't seem to figure it out. Hmm. Would you like to know um, what my fantasy points score was starting the Washington defense against the Bills this week, James? <laughs> go, go, go ahead, go on. <laughs> they got me negative eight, and I lost to Sam by seven points. Oh, nice. <laughs> yep, it's uh, it's a rough it's a rough year for those of us that believed in the Washington defense, especially in the fantasy football realm. Uh, don't worry, because I um, I benched. Who did I bench? I benched Jamar Chase and Antonio Gibson for Kenyon Drake and um, uh, Rondale Moore this week. Oh, mm. for you. I'm so sorry. I, I also I also benched uh, Jamar Chase and DJ Moore for Calvin Ridley and Stephon Diggs. And why, whoa, hang on, just quickly. Why have you been, why have you been keeping D, uh, DJ Moore out? I I I, thought, I learned I after week was... I learned after week two that DJ Moore is the guy that you have to be starting in fantasy. I put him in there well, immediately. Do you want to know? I have nothing at wide receiver. Do you want to know? I mean, you have DJ Moore. No, no, no. I'm saying all I have is wide receivers. Do you want to know who I have? Go on. In addition to those named, well, I'll just say them again. I have Stephon Diggs, K- 
Calvin Ridley, Terry McLaurin, Mike Evans, DJ Moore, and Jamar Chase. <laughs> and they keep fucking starting the wrong ones. Have you considered trading one or two of them to get someone else in a position of greater need? I keep trying to trade with Dan for Eckler, but he won't take him. What about he if you trade McLaurin? I'm not trading Scary Terry. You yeah, yeah, but I mean, you've got you've got Mike Evans, you've got <laughs> Stephon Diggs, you've got DJ Moore. Nobody's going to touch Calvin Ridley unless you're trading him for I don't know, like someone that isn't a big name running back that you sort of believe in. Nobody's <laughs> going to touch. Well, people might be after Jamar Chase now. I think Terry McLaurin with Heineke might be your best bet for like an actual asset. Maybe, but it's not like he's sharing targets with anyone else in Washington, is it? I don't know. Anyway, we should <laughs> we should probably move on from that travesty <laughs> to a uh, another <laughs> to travesty. A... Hooray! We're finally here. Um, the <laughs> Pittsburgh Steelers uh, got their asses handed to them in what might be one of the least impressive displays that I've ever seen from the Steelers ever. I think that this was worse than any, th- uh, any game that Rudolph or Doc Hodges started two years ago. It's it's arguably less imaginative play calling than the uh, Patriots turbo uh, stomping of that very season um, which had me absolutely ranting my head off in like the fourth ever episode of this show. What a fucking joke. <laughs> um, if, any, if, if anyone's happy to let me just uh, just riff on this one a little bit. Oh, yeah, I will. I will t- gladly take a backseat on this one. All right. <laughs> just do me, do me a favor, yeah? Just Go on. Give that, give that sensey defense some cred because they played well. Oh, they did play well. Um, it's not hard to read exactly what's coming when you can stack the box against uh, everything and Pittsburgh don't take any deep shots up the middle of the field. And if they did want to do it, Ben, uh, ben Roethlisberger would either be sacked before he had the opportunity or he'd overthrow the guy because he's not used to making deep throws anymore because he's sacked by the time that he even... Yeah, or he fall down like he did on one of the pitches. So, yeah, nice, uh, <laughs> nice work there, Pittsburgh. Um, the, the thing that happened, uh, this week was that the Bengals finally stopped the 75 record setting sack streak. Um, but I don't know if it's on the offensive line or if it's just on the fact that like when you miss TJ Watt and Alex Highsmith and you replace them with, um, hang on, let me just remember his name. Derek Tutsk. Tuska and uh, Jameer Jones, who generated zero pressures on uh, many failed attempts. That's that's pretty much where it lies. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of offensive line credit being given when in reality it's just a bad day. Um, Here's my ten cents. That just before you move on, I. Before before the game, we were talking about how since these problems on O line were on the interior. Yes. Right. And you, but I mean, Pittsburgh didn't even really take advantage in the interior. 
Well, they had Cam Hayward, and then do you want to talk about Isaiah Loudermilk, who had to actually play snaps this week? Like, when <laughs> when Tyson Alawulu gets his ankle broken, and Chris Warmly is very much a sort of bit-part player and Stefan Tuitt's not back, you've got Hayward, who you can triple-team, and then you can leave absolutely everything else to nobody. Um, so... Again, I'm going to say that this is a lot of injury-based mishaps compared to like O-line play, but it doesn't matter. What what really matters is that the Bengals were able to take advantage of uh, unimaginative, boring play calling um, and one of the worst offensive lines that I have ever witnessed in any sport uh match in general um Najee Harris had a day that reads so incredibly weird he had 14 carries and 14 receptions 142 total uh, total yards he had 80 of those yards then also wiped out from plays that were uh, either holding or pass interference calls that were so very stupid um he had a he had a great hurdle to take away a sort of like second and 17 that the offensive line had put us in there in the first place. That was chalked off. He had a nice 15 yard run. That was chalked off. He had a lot of very intense churning yards. Most of those were chalked off and he still put up 142 yards. Fuck's sake, spend some money. I think the year of... The, the Najee Harris breakout is going to be next season when Pittsburgh eventually vest in their offensive line and they have no choice but to run the ball 100 times a game because Big Ben's no longer there and uh, Dwayne Haskins is starting as quarterback. Do, do you know what, though? I think uh, one of the things that um, I'm seeing a lot of reports are is that uh, Matt Canada, who is like the rookie offensive coordinator like he's been in college level quite a lot he was the QB coach last year a lot of his play calls are a lot of like pre-snap motion not to find out if it's zone or man it's a lot of pre-snap motion to get the defense moving around so that they miss coverage uh, like busted coverages and stuff our offense hasn't had any moment of that apart from in week two when um, Juju Smith-Schuster had the uh, sort of pitched uh, like shovel pass sort of deal to score one of our only offensive scores in the game against the Raiders. That whole drive, we went to that offense and it worked. I think that what's happening is Ben Roethlisberger is overruling the offensive coordinator at the line of scrimmage because a lot of... A lot of drives look exactly the same as they have done for the uh, for the past like four years, apart from when Rudolph and Duck were in there. And I think that that's because they're not letting the offensive coordinator actually, or Ben's not letting the offensive coordinator do what the offensive coordinator is paid to do. Well, all all I can say is I hope after sort of week six, the wide receivers know how to run uh, four verts. Well, I think it would genuinely be there would be a mild improvement because at least there'd be the 
actual play calls that the actual signal caller should be running and can actually learn the defense better and actually try and execute those plays. Granted, the guy throwing the ball by week six will probably be absolutely garbage at it, but if at least there's going to be some imagination in there or some, like, blown out, like, right guard pulling over to the left side for a nice, like, four-yard hole for Harris to run through or something, just some kind of actual scripting in there, then I think that that would be a much more cohesive offense. From what I saw against the Bengals, we aren't even playing the same sport compared to the rest of the league. You watch literally any other team and they're running like NFL offenses apart from the Jags who are being horribly undercoached. We're not playing that sport right now. So... Hopefully, there's some fucking big change for uh, for next week against the Packers. But Jesus Christ! Speaking of the Packers, we welcome with the late window games. We welcome the late window man himself, Mr. Max Saito, to the podcast. An <laughs> evening. Uh, we have a couple of uh, well, we have one more early window game to get through, and. Uh, it's a good job that you've joined us, Max, because it's your new Chargers um, who managed to take a shock victory, or not even a shock victory, a well-earned victory over the Kansas City Chiefs. Oh, boy. You know, the last few years, one one trait that the Chiefs have had is that they get away with more turnovers than anyone else in the league. Um, and it's helped them to win, especially last year, uh, a lot of close games. But <clears throat> it's entirely possible that the the weight of just how bad their defense is is starting to bring them back down to earth, and we're starting to see some more mistakes coming through because with what they've got on the defensive end, the the, the offense has to play mistake free football for them to have a chance. And when you've got Mahomes, who throws two pretty ghastly picks, I mean. The first one wasn't ghastly, but you'd have to think if he was looking where he was throwing it, it might have been a little more... I mean, you can't really put it on him, but it was a bit unnecessary. And the one um, that really ended the game was... It was just like an off-platform throw. He just floated it. It went right over the head of Kelsey, who they would normally hit that play. You'd expect them to hit that play, you know, nine times out of ten. So, uncharacteristic mistakes. They got a lot out of... Uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, although he also had some mistakes, so I don't know, maybe maybe bringing in Josh Gordon will clear up the offense, what do you guys think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should point out that the recently reinstated Josh Gordon is signing with the Kansas City Chiefs Brett Veach continuing his incredible record of hiring people with an enormous laundry list of disciplinary issues should we do a sweepstake on how long it takes Josh Nor- uh, Josh Gordon to get suspended again? Uh, well, what I was saying is that um, when Josh Gordon got suspended, the league was a lot more harsh on marijuana charges. Um, they have loosened up on that, but chose to just not reinstate Josh Gordon earlier anyway. Like, they've taken away the sort of 
multi-game suspension and they've gone to a more fine model and like in the off-season it's fine and there's still a problem there with Josh Gordon and his like drug use but it, I don't think it'll lead to a suspension or anything like close to what he's been sort of tagged with recently that's for sure I suppose yes so I'm not going to take you up on that sweepstake because the rules have changed. It's a different world out there, James. But any other time I'd be you saying, just... like, week five. Maybe it's a challenge for Josh, Josh Gordon to see how much marijuana he can actually smoke. <laughs> um, it's like, how much can I have before I get banned? Let's find out. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with Max. It's They... They need to play, like, perfect offensive football, which uh, the, Chiefs, of the Chiefs are very much capable of doing, and that's why they will still win a hell of a lot of games this year. It's just, the defense is so bad. There was there was one particular, like, Legereus Sneed giving away DPI in the end zone on possibly the worst decision I've ever seen a DB make. Like... He's not even close to the ball, and he he still decides to tackle him off the ball before the throw. Like, oh, it's just, it's ludicrous. Those are the mistakes Brody that you'd not. Here. Yeah, those are the mistakes that you wouldn't be caught dead making in high school, let alone in the NFL, Legarius. I mean, the Chargers. We got to give the Chargers some credit where it's due because, um, I mean, Justin Herbert played. A very, very, very good game. Um, you could even argue if you if you wanted to, and I'm sure a lot of people do want to. You could argue that he played better than Mahomes. Um, and I'd agree that with the yeah. Chargers' new offensive game plan, they've got Mike Williams now playing the role of an out and out sort of boundary receiver, and he's so he's so big, he's an absolute nightmare in the end zone. I mean, he was an absolute bargain pickup in a couple of my fantasy leagues this year and uh, I mean I know it's it's sort of going out of style to run the old goal line fade but to me I think Mike Williams and Justin Herbert are probably two of the guys who can who can execute it should they want to so when you line that up with obviously Keenan Allen on the other side and you mix in other guys like oh gosh who's that? it's like Jalen Guyton and another and other guys Jared and they've really got Jared taken, Cook yeah who's oh, just consistent I mean, yeah, they've got a lot of guys there who are going to play their role very effectively, even if they're not going to, you know, light up the like the fantasy realm. And what what stuck out to me is that the Chargers still, they still nearly blew it. They still nearly blew it. They had that um, missed extra point from Fizkino, uh, which might be the reason why they chose to throw to Mike Williams in the end zone when they could have set up a chip shot field goal. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if he's going to make it through to next week or... I don't know. That's that's typical Chargers. But, I mean, they just played a, a cleaner game than the Chiefs. Um, but on another day, the Chiefs could have won it. So, although they're 1-2, and two, there's nothing to panic about. Although, I think they'll probably... There's teams in the division that are 3-0. and out. That's something to panic about. Yeah, but I mean, do you, are you would you pin your master Denver really seeing it out this year? Or I mean, Denver have played 
I think Denver have played teams with a combined record of 0-9, haven't they? So, I mean, yeah. any lost division game in this division is a big problem. But ultimately, if the Chiefs can get into the postseason, you wouldn't really want to bet against them because, like you say, they can win any game. I will quickly say about, this, uh, about the Chiefs is that for all the investment that they've done on this offensive line, if they don't figure it out soon, I think that at some point this year, Mahomes is going to get hurt because although he is absolutely ex- exceptional on those off-platform, running out of the pocket, sliding to the right and then launching it all the way across to the left for a 45-yard gain to Tyreek Hill, that's not sustainable. Um, in the long run and I think the Chiefs offensive line is really struggling at, at the start of this season to get anything I mean the pressure's always been on him from every game that I've been watching so far Mahomes just seems to be running for his life all the all the time which is really concerning to me Do you think it's a personnel issue or just simply a matter of you know it's, it's just their third game together on what is essentially like a fully rebuilt line do you think it's going to do, do you think that it's going to come together as the season goes on or is this going to remain a cause for concern like new years and onwards i think it's a bit of both because even though even though orlando brown and joe tuna should be should be okay and they should get better once they start to gel you have to remember that there is two rookies on this line i think creed humphreys has been okay so far um but i think they are going to take a little bit longer to adjust and I think it's going to be difficult against some of the teams with the better pass rushes as well because even the start, they've not really played a team with what you would call an elite pass rush so far. Oh, well, they played the Browns week one, but yeah, I think that they are, especially when, if they come up against Denver, there's going to be a big question of whether or not they can hold up against the, the pressure that Denver are going to bring. So, And Las Vegas with Max Crosby and Yannick Ngokwe playing the way they are. I think yeah, they've got Lucas Nyang starting started that game as well, I think, and he set out the whole of. I mean, he he came quite highly rated, but he was a COVID opt out last year, so I don't know. I mean, it's definitely definitely something to keep an eye on. But again, I mean, it, we would have to be daft to write off the cheeks with me after three weeks. Oh yeah, of course. But it is. There are signs. There are signs. But we know they can overcome bad defense and substandard offensive line play. But like you say, it's not sustainable. It's not going to work like three or four years from now. So let's see. Uh, let's move on to the late window where uh, we got Jets. La, 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 late window. I'm going to go in order of least to most important and uh, interesting. And we're going to start with the Broncos absolutely blowing the Jets out of the water. 26 to nothing. Another... Like solid chain moving, no no like scores day for Teddy Bridgewater, but it was what he needed to do. Um, the Jets are not having fun this year. Another AFC team who've thrown a duck up, like that's embarrassing. <laughs> uh, yeah, both from the <laughs> AFC East as well. Just drawing a whole goose egg out here. Three weeks into the season. Yeah, I think the, um, the... I mean, I don't think we need to spend much time on this game because I think anyone who listens to this is going to know what the situation is with the Jets, both in the, in terms of this season and their franchise DNA. 
But I think one thing that I noticed with the Broncos is that their running game is starting to develop quite nicely, which mm-hmm. is going to be a world of good in terms of how far Teddy can take them into the season. Obviously, they've got Melvin Gordon there, who, I mean, I'm biased because, you know, I'm a Wisconsin fan, but Melvin Gordon's always been able to do a job. And he's, although they lost Philip Lindsay, which a lot of people questioned, the rookie, Javante Williams, scored his first NFL touchdown this week. and Very, very good player, Javante mm-hmm. Williams. Yeah, he was... He was Definitely one of the higher rated running backs in this year's draft. Um, part of the great one two punch at UNC. And um, I think the other guy ended up with the Jets, didn't he? So Yeah, yeah. Michael Carter. He's not really he's not really blowing the doors off, so it's possible that the Broncos got the better end of that tandem. But yeah, I, I don't think there's much that needs to be said because you can't learn much playing the Jets right now. No. <laughs> exactly. It's just it's just stay healthy, basically. Yeah, as we've sort of mentioned, the Broncos have played teams with a combined record of 0-3, but, uh, sorry, 0-9. Um, but to still no, come out of there with... Him. Yeah, to still still come out with 3-0, and like, that's that's good. That's better than we would sort of expect him from the Broncos. Um, Teddy Bridgewater's... They their running game. Yeah. Because they lost KJ Hamler for the season in this game. Yeah. On ACL, and Jerry Judy obviously got hurt at the start. Mm-hmm. I mean... They've got they've still got Cortland Sutton and, and Tim Patrick who's you know like a bit of a darling for people yeah, and, who and don't watch f- the NFL. So and don't forget Noah Fan as well. Yeah, definitely. But it is it is significantly thinner than at the start of the year. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on. Um, we're gonna go. Uh, ooh, I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm going to say this right now. I think that out of games that were actually of any interest um, with how they actually finished up, I want to, I want to, I want to go to Lamb's box first. Um, just purely because I know that the Buccaneers took an L here. Um, I don't really remember much happening. It was just the Rams are a clearly good team. The Bucks are a clearly good team as well. It's just that the Rams played better. It's Matthew Stafford character. Who knew he had it in him? Premier um, tight window thrower in the NFL. I Yeah, I just... For the first time in a long while, I find these Rams inherently watchable, even with the horrible kits. Like, they are... <laughs> they are... St- <laughs> what are they? Charred bone. They are still an incredibly sort of interesting exercise in like this is an NFL team like the the addition of Deshaun Jackson even if he only pays off for like two more touchdowns like this is the mark of a team that knows what it takes to win right yeah Deshaun Jackson Cooper Cup Van Jefferson trading for Matt Stafford obviously and getting someone that's inherently about a billion times more interesting than Jared Goff they've gone from a team that it would be like oh they made it because their defense is there and they've got like some decent weapons and whatnot they've gone from that to like i i legitimately want to see how deep these guys can go this is a good rams team this is a great rams team and the fact that they're doing they've seemed to have put it together so early on as well is quite scary i thought it might have taken a couple of weeks for them to get going Mm -hmm. stafford has hit the hit the ground running yeah I learned more about the Bucks than I did about the Rams in this game because the Bucks, they, I mean, 
Matt Stafford's charred bone uni was still as, you know, off-white as it was at the start of the game. They they couldn't get close. They couldn't wrap him up at all. And when you can't get close, and especially, I mean, let alone a quarterback like Matt Stafford, who we know is obviously very good, when he's got those kind of weapons and the Bucks have the shallow depth on the back end, it was always going to be just incredibly easy for them to be picked apart and the the Bucks don't have a run game right now so if they they're basically hoping to to get by on the pass and they they didn't really they couldn't keep they basically couldn't keep up this week mm. um so it's it's I I lost more confidence in the Bucks than I gained in the Rams if that makes sense because we knew the Rams were going to be really good but we thought the Bucks were going to be, like, looking like the team that won ten games in a row. <laughs> and to me, they had they had a few uh, weaknesses exposed in this game. Just a just a quick little fun fact here about the uh, about the Bucks and their lack of rushing game. Um, Tom Brady had more yards than um, anyone else on the Bucks in terms of any running game. Ronald Jones had eleven. Leonard Fournette had eight. Tom Brady had 14. When Tom and Brady... Yeah, Gio Bernard actually had a pretty decent day like actually receiving the ball. He had nine receptions, 51 yards, and a touchdown, but like he didn't... To be fair, you can't run on either of these teams. So. No, Aaron Donald will always be an issue to run on, but like even still, that's, that's a little concerning, if I'm being completely honest. A little side tidbit from that. We know you mentioned Brady running. We almost got... Um, we had a little bet on our podcast this year that if Tom Brady at any point has a 10-yard rush, that Mark will have to wear a Tom Brady top. He was a one-yard shy this week. He had a nine-yard rush. I was just... I was crossing my fingers <laughs> off it maybe, uh, maybe another week, but thankfully for Mark's blushes... Uh, he was spared. Um, did anyone learn anything else from this game? I mean, this is why I sort of wanted to get this one out of the way before the other two. I didn't learn anything good, else. Good yeah, it was a good, good win, win for the Rams, yeah. All right, let's move on. Um, Ed, welcome to having a win. Oh, skin there, man. Breathe. <laughs> take it away sunshine I'm sorry first of all an apology to friend of the show Ben we adore you fella but there is no such thing as a Seahawk and that was clear today there was also no such thing as a Seahawks defence <laughs> go Hawks <laughs> go Hawks um, yeah it was It's. it was such a weird game because I was I was very pessimistic about the Vikings after the first two drives where the Seahawks rode DK Metcalf basically 75 yards for a touchdown. And then Minnesota came back with one and I thought, well, this is all over. Like, they have the keys to the city here. Like, like they are doing what they want. And it just never happened again. Mm-hmm. Like... The Seahawks stopped scoring halfway through the second half, or sorry, the second quarter, and something went wrong. Their play calling 
went conservative. Their defence couldn't stop anything. In terms of like defending passes, it was one of the worst displays I've ever seen. Like it was truly that bad. In terms of the ball is in the air, the Seahawks were nowhere near the ball at any point. In the end, it was a really like a very comfortable win for Minnesota, and. Yeah, There's, I'm I'm so thrilled that my actual analysis of this game kind of went out the window because I became a fan and was just sort of like, yeah. So yeah, if anyone else has any more astute points to make about this game, please. Uh, I don't know. I think what we saw. Oh yeah, Tom. I was just going to quickly say because you mentioned about how the Seahawks went really conservative, just sort of like midway through the second quarter. I feel like the Seahawks always have these games where. Um, they will look unstoppable for like the two weeks previous and they will come out swinging and then for some reason just some something goes wrong somewhere and they just all of a sudden completely shut down they stop being the team that you should fear and they start being the team that are, are immortal like easy to carve up easy to deal with kind of team like yeah, well, the they, the offense for the Seahawks did the same thing last week against the Titans. It looked totally uninspirational after the break. I mean, whether that's defensive adjustment or just yeah, uninspired play calling. But I would say as well that I think Tyler Lockett got got hurt in this game. I think he mm. came back, didn't he? But yeah, yeah, he was fine. I mean, whether he was playing through something that could be a factor. But it was really just a continuation of a few trends that we've seen where the Seahawks since the end of the you know, it was that one game against the Giants, which was basically the end of the let Russ cook era last year. Mm-hmm. And since then, their offense has been pretty flat. Their defense has been mediocre. And like I said, they had absolutely no uh, answer to the to the, the short and the mid-passing game, um, which is really where Kirk Cousins excelled. And, and he had a brilliant game. Mm-hmm. They totally mistake-free. But, did I mean, did you guys hear that I think according to next gen stats, he didn't throw a single deep ball all game. He didn't. But he didn't, he didn't have to, to because it was there for him all day. The Seahawks made life very easy. And there was then... so little pressure on him as well. That was the other thing. It was mm-hmm. at all at all levels of the defense. It just wasn't good enough. Yeah, I mean, they're sitting at one and two now, and they've got some serious questions, especially in that division, as to whether they can make it back to playoffs. And and if they don't, I mean, I don't know. Could this be Pete Carroll's last season? Because the idea was sort of floated last year, so we'll see. Yeah, not to take away from... Oh, go on, James. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I'd like to be able to um, give some kind of insight from from Ben, the resident Seattle Seahawks fan, but he has been completely radio silent this <laughs> since Sunday. Um, yeah, I think you're completely right in terms of Seattle. I just don't think there's been much deviation from the offensive playbook. It's either seem to find success with Chris Carson on the ground and it's either find Tyler Lockett deep or let DK Metcalf do something incredible. Mm-hmm. Apart from that, the offense just is it's very pedestrian. It's not to it's not to the state of like say, for example, the Jags offense or like the Steelers, where they've got real struggles, but there just doesn't seem to be much in terms of variation from it, which is surprising when you've got so much talent on a roster. Yeah, it's predictable. Doesn't doesn't it remind you of the end of the Mike McCarthy era in Green Bay, where they would basically yes. just mm-hmm. 
the, yeah, the offensive sure. system is not giving them any sort of advantage and they were basically just you know and in part Aaron Rodgers played his part in that in terms of just like Tom alluded to his big Ben just calling his own plays basically but he was trying to make it happen on every play and they were just trying to rely on individual brilliance and although it works sometimes it's just no it's it's no way to it's, you can't you can't rely on it and I think it starts with the Seahawks in the trenches on both sides of the ball. Like they are deeply mediocre <laughs> on both lines, and without that, you can't generate a pass rush. You can't get a run game going. And there's going to be games where you're watching the Seahawks and you're like, "My God, how how is you know Russ finding Tyler Lockett in these plays? How is DK Metcalf so fast and so hard to tackle?" And then there's going to be games where like, why can't, why don't they have a play where a guy is open. <laughs> mm. Why can't they move guys off the line and just run through caps, you know? So, yeah, they yeah. they need a they need a reinvention the Seahawks because it's become very very bland. It 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 is literally the case of like I know that you can have bad coordinators and you can have like bad coaches and stuff. But if you're not listening to them, then that also contributes. Like I know that nobody should have been listening to Mike Nolan in Dallas last year, but there are experts, or at least they are paid to focus on this whole aspect. If you're not, if you're not getting any output out of your out of your coordinators, or you're not getting any output on the field because you're not listening to them, then that's that's like a major issue. And I feel like the Seahawks have become incredibly predictable. Because they aren't, they aren't doing anything that someone should be paid money to prevent. Coordinators are there to drum up something imaginative. They're there to make it tick and and fool the defense. Seattle ain't feel they aren't fooling anyone right now. Two more points, and then we can move on. Uh, number one is this snaps a a seven straight Russell Wilson versus Minnesota win streak. So that was nice because you guys all talk about oh the Seahawks have these games, <laughs> do they? They always beat us. And number two, um, one of our one of our favorite players was in this game. Tom, starting for Seattle, Bob Kemdiche. Can Bob. you believe that, James? In twenty twenty one, Robert Kemdiche is getting meaningful snaps in Seattle. <laughs> I think it says it all, really. To be fair, I think yep. it says it all. The fact that retreads FC. <laughs> One final thing that I want to say is that I'm very happy is that Kirk Cousins has finally remembered that Justin Jefferson won the was like one of the best rookie receivers of all time and decided to finally throw him the ball quite a lot. Is this a fantasy point? Because I was also about to really praise the fact that they remembered that they do have one of the premier wideouts. On... Excuse me, they have two. Of them. Yeah, but I mean, like specifically the Jefferson. It's not even a fantasy point. It's just the point of the fact that he's always open and yet he just doesn't. He's like, nah, I'll go to uh, Thielen who's triple covered. Oh, I'll go. To, I'll throw it to Gerald Everett. Oh, oh no, it's not even Gerald T- Everett. Tyler Conklin. Tyler Conklin. He had a great Tyler game. Conklin. Yeah, and so did Conklin. Conklin. Did have a great game. The, the, the last point I had, other than to say, go Hawks. This game and played really well. Um, he had a nice burst, got to the second level a bit. Although I would say, yeah, the 
the defensive line for Seattle made it quite easy on them. They were, made, I mean, we saw we saw the Vikings. The, the O line can run block really well. We saw against Arizona last week. So, so yeah, it was easy, but he did his job. So props to him. Again, sorry to keep banging this drum. We can move on from this game, but you know how much Tom hates PFF. Yeah. Tom, did you know that Minnesota are the fourth best pass-blocking offensive line in the NFL right now by PFF? <laughs> I mean, based off of what I've seen from like the whole season, that tells me everything I need to know about PFF. So line block uh, grades. <laughs> Wait, how many times has Kirk been sacked this year? Uh, he got sacked five times against Cincy and it was times week two and once in week three. Oh yeah, but we look, Ed, Ed, we know better than almost anyone that Kirk Cousins creates sacks for himself. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let's, let's, let's actually on. finally move one on. Thought. One final thought for me, but it's not about either team. It's that I don't want to hear any more games of Mark Sanchez commentating because he's not very good. He's not very interesting, and he doesn't have much insight. Although I did like his <laughs> um, his laundry list of CJ Ham nicknames. <laughs> Yeah, that was one of the best things about the whole game. <laughs> uh, all right. At one point, he was calling him Lake Superior, which all I right. still think is the greatest <laughs> sporting nickname of all time. <laughs> I call Justin Tucker Leg Superior. Hey. <laughs> all right, let's let's move on. We're gonna go to the land of gambling, and we're gonna go to Las Vegas, where they took a gamble in overtime, and it paid off thirty-one to twenty-eight. <laughs> They beat the gamble. They needed they two didn't. possessions they didn't. overtime to win it. I know. Shut up. It's it's all part <laughs> of it's, it's all part of show business, Max. Let me do my job. Talking to the kings of the all the time. <laughs> they are. This is the second time in a row that the the Raiders have managed to take it to overtime and come out victorious against the, the, some odds. The um. The. For guy, it's it's been a great weekend for guys in the mo- like the mold of Kirk Cousins because Derek Carr is <laughs> slinging that thing for the Raiders. Um, he's playing some of the best ball he's played in five years. Yeah, and he had like a really nice. he had like a really ugly pick early doors, but ever since then it was just plain sailing. He didn't really let it affect him. I don't think I mean, he he's got a really good connection with Hunter Renfro, a really good connection with Darren Waller, and then yeah. The connection with Brian Edwards and, and Henry Ruggs, you can see it coming by, uh, coming on week by week. So mm-hmm. that's really good. Uh, they're another team who desperately need to work on their run game because Carr's basically Carr and the receivers are putting the team on their back at the moment. I mean, Josh Jacobs was out for this game, which doesn't help, but that's how you, that's how you fail to put a, a, a game away when you're you're relying on a, a bunch of receivers who oh, they do certain things very well all of them but none of them are really that all-rounded um and mm. yeah the my, <laughs> the main thought i had watching this was is jake brisket a downgrade at quarterback for the dolphins i'm uh, not sure he is what, what we saw from Tua, i think his veteran experience is really helpful with i wouldn't say you know for help to salvage the shipwreck of an offensive line <laughs> that Miami have, um, they, they, he just—I think he sees the game better than than Tua is at this time, um, and he really worked hard to put the the Dolphins back in this game. But like their two, their drive, the, the last few drives to get back in the game were just inexorable. They took so long; they never seemed to end. Yeah, this one no explosion. 
with they, that offense. It does seem like every uh, every year there's like maybe a couple games that feel like they've gone on for at least like half the time these these teams have even been in the league. Um, this was this fourth quarter dragged for hours, and yet, despite dragging on for what felt like in a whole eternity, the ending of the game was pretty, pretty fucking extravagant to say the least. Um, overtime's fun, is what I will say. Just for just for just pure drama, can't be it. I do love a good overtime game. I'm not going to lie. I really love a good overtime game. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I have real reservations against the um, the Miami defense this year. Um, from watching this game, I think that for how good Xavier Howard was last season, um, I think there is a realness to his game that we've seen so far this season, and that is a wide receiver with a bit of speed. Because Henry Ruggs seemed to seem to beat him. Now I know there's not a lot of players in the league who have Henry Ruggs' speed, but I think Henry Ruggs seemed to have the better of him in this matchup, and I think that is a that is something that teams are going to start taking notice of, especially you know the better teams down the road for the tough games Miami have. We mentioned how good Hunter Renfro is. Yeah, mentioned about how Derek Carr has a connection with him. Ah, fair. I mean, you can feel free to gush. Feel free to gush about him if you want. No, no, no. <laughs> the classic white wide receiver. <laughs> I um. It's Wes Welker yeah, all I... over again. <laughs> Precisely, he is that player, but the more likable Cole Beasley. <laughs> <laughs> what a prick. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I, well, I didn't find this game to be, I don't know, like scripted viewing until right at the end where it got very fun, but there's just not the, nothing in me wants to watch the Jake, the Jacoby Brissett, the Jake Brisket experience anymore. Like, I'd rather watch Tua because I want to see if he sinks or swims. Like, we just know what Brissett is, and it is mid-tier quarterback play. Like, slightly below average. Kind of fine. Can move the ball-ish, but not... Good for a backup. Yeah. Yeah. There's only a couple of teams that I would like to see Jake Brisket play, and we've still got... We've still got one of them to go. (laughs) He's the... He's the anti-Tyrod Taylor. Whereas good quarterbacks replace Tyrod Taylor, bad quarterbacks get replaced by um, Jacoby Brissett. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> maybe maybe he can get like a like a Fitzpatrick type second chapter to to his career if he if he gets a bit of magic. But he always looks a bit like he looks like quite a, he looks like quite a dull guy. I find Jake <laughs> Jacoby. <Jacobi's laughs> he kind of just looks like he doesn't have too much to say. Like he's, I'm sure he's a lovely chap, but um, he, I don't know. He doesn't carry himself with much swagger at times. So, you know. <laughs> I like the Raiders this year. They seem like they can win any game they play and lose any game they play. So they're going to be a good team to watch. I, I like their chances against the Chiefs, actually. I really like their chances. But they'll probably lose. So They're, they're one of those teams, they feel already like one of those teams whose objective is to spoil other people's seasons rather than have their own. <laughs> the thing is that they have, a, they have a real tendency, this Raiders team, to spoil their own season about halfway through. So. <laughs> yeah. 
We'll see. But there have been plenty entertaining to start the year. Alright, just because I'm conscious of time, let's move on to Sunday night. Green Bay traveling to the Golden Gate Bridge, San Francisco 49ers, <laughs> coming out with a 30 <laughs> to 28. The game was played on the bridge, which was a slightly weird choice. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was um, it was a cracking game actually. Um, me and Tom were talking about it during the game, some subpar officiating. <laughs> there was um, a really bad missed grounding. The the hit on Devonte Adams was pretty dirty, and I don't know he hasn't shown up on the injury report. I don't know if he's going to show up on the injury report with a concussion, but he said he mostly took it in the chest. Um, but to watch it, he looked totally... He looked like he was, like he was out really cold, yeah. They said he was winded, didn't they? Yeah, he... I guess if you got hit like that and you got winded like that, you probably would look a bit out of it, but... I don't know, like, the, the league the league spotters need to... Because the league has spotters who attend these games and they look out for symptoms of concussion, and the way he was lying on the ground, um, they probably should have told the doctors just to take a bit more time with it. So, we'll see. I mean, I'm glad, I'm glad he was back in the game because I don't think that we would have got the grandstand finish without him. Mm. I think. Um, I think the Packers came in with a really good game plan um, that was well executed. They let Nick Bosa spoil the <laughs> the first drive a bit. Um, he was playing against the second year undrafted rookie, Josh Nyman, who's the third choice left tackle. Um, and they had a couple more rookies and guys playing out of position on the offensive line, but they did a really good job of, of getting the ball out of Rogers' hands quickly. And as the game wore on, like especially towards the end, they were they were able to to pick up a bit more traction in the run game. So they had a really good offensive game plan. And and I thought Rogers just executed it like it was basically perfection. Like he hit some beautiful throws in this game. Um, played fairly mistake free, um, which he needed to do, and. Uh, yeah, they they got just enough, and um, on the Niners side, <laughs> at half time you were thinking like, is are we going to see Trey Lance come out at the half because he obviously scored the touchdown at the end, and the Niners had a like a red zone offensive sequence that just took like thirty five minutes, <laughs> and it was just like <laughs> play after play of, of not really getting anywhere. So he sort of came out and maybe saved his job for the next week at least in the second half, and and he had that go ahead drive, but. I don't know, man. You leave Aaron Rodgers 37 seconds, you got Devontae Adams on the field. You play zone coverage, and um, yeah, you pay you pay your debts. Mason Crosby comes on, hits a 51-yarder, and uh, yeah. I'm feeling a lot better at the Packers than I was a couple of weeks ago. Um, especially overcoming the 49ers, who are, a bit, who are very much a bogey team, um, with some bad blood between them on the road. It's on to Pittsburgh next week, but we'll see. Now, there is one more player I want to quickly touch on in this game. Max, you might know who it is. Who? Corey fucking Bohorquez, man. What a punter. <laughs> yeah, great holder as well. He had a brilliant hold on the final field goal. <laughs> but yeah, he, there were times in the game, especially in the second half, when the Packers would sort of stall out and they needed a play. And sometimes your punter can be the guy who provides you with a play. You can kick an absolute picture perfect like cross field out inside the 20 not allow a return sort of I mean we saw Trent and Cannon had the big return which set up the, 
the touchdown at the end of the first half. So the the punter totally neutralised their return game, kicked to the coverage perfectly. I mean, it's a refreshing because the Packers haven't had a good punter since um, that ginger bloke was there like eight years ago. <laughs> <laughs> So it's been a while. So yeah, I mean, the Hawkins might be one of the best punters in the league, frankly, if not like a top three guy. He is absolutely a top three guy in my mind. He the is Rams had good. the Hawkins and Hecker on the same. That is like that's ridiculous. That's far to Rogers type stuff. That's Montana <laughs> Young type stuff. <laughs> anyone got anyone on it? Uh, anything else to add? Because. Um... I must admit, I uh, it was sort of at the very end of uh, a long birthday, and I must admit, <laughs> I I was absolutely knackered, and I was also very drunk by the time that this game had even kicked off. So <laughs> I can't. Carl Yushik had a nice game. Carl Yushik is Carl Yushik is the 49ers' best running back at the moment. He's better than Trey Sermon, um, and they know how to use him too, and. Uh, just to touch on one more thing, the Packers' defense um, is really has really improved. Devondre Campbell has been a pretty key member of of the the team. And uh, one thing with the Packers' defense that's not really surprises that when Kenny Clark is playing well, he can be a, a dominant force at defensive tackle. And they got a really good game out of Kenny Clark. Like they've struggled to manufacture pass rush without Zadarius Smith. So with Kenny Clark coming home, that really helped them especially in the first half astute alright let's uh, let's move on with Monday Night Football and the Dallas Cowboys beating the Philadelphia Eagles 41-21 to Dak Prescott had a great day um, but Ezekiel Elliott coming back uh into having a sort of superstar level performance this was a great game for the Cowboys I can sum up my thoughts about this game in four words I have to go (laughs) 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 I actually really do I I can only stick around for about 45 minutes so I'm going to head off the only thought I had about this game was that um, Ed might be right about Jalen Hurts he has some nice garbage time throws but um Looks a bit like a deer in the headlights. My, if we were doing forward summaries, my forward summary would be: Is Jalen Hurts good? Because I've, I've got no idea anymore. I... So your, that means your opinion on him is massively improved. Than it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm, it's a, I'm still pretty confident he's bad. I just can't remember what good quarterback play in Philly looks like. I'm gonna I'm gonna give Jalen Hurts a little bit of the benefit of the doubt here because I think that this Cowboys defense is vastly improved on what we were seeing out of the Mike Nolan units. Like the Cowboys defense last year was atrocious, but that was because they were trying to draw up the most complicated schemes that I've ever seen any defense ever try and run, and they were trying to like overcomplicate nobody because it didn't work. They actually, Dan Quinn has done a good job with just getting the Cowboys to play fundamental defense again. Like, granted, I know that Jalen Hurts didn't have the best game here, but he's played pretty well for the beginning of this year. And against this Cowboys unit, like, 
they didn't have very much opportunity to even throw the ball very well because the O-line was garbage. Um, basically, every snap that I saw Jalen Hurts take where he had like any time in the pocket, it immediately collapsed behind him. Like the the Cowboys managed to get back around it. Trayvon Diggs has again had another uh, pretty good day. Very solid. Uh, had the pick six as well. I think this is just the Cowboys' defense has played well. Um, there was a little bit of ref ball that happened in this game as well. Uh, Dak Prescott very clearly was about a yard in um, on a QB sneak, and uh, the refs decided to say that he was short. And it actually came on the um, on the broadcast, obviously, because they have mics um, saying, oh, "I can't give this as a uh, as a touchdown against Philly." Don't know why. No idea why. Clearly in. But it didn't affect the uh, end result, just like the ref ball in the Sunday night game. But, yeah, I, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt because the Cowboys' defence is just better than it was last year. Yeah, but being better than it was last year doesn't make it good. It's still like a 26th ranked offence. Like, mm. Take it or leave it. That's my opinion. I... um. I like seeing Dak do well. Hmm. The Eagles are the other team who I don't want to watch another Eagles game all season. I just know what they are at this point, and I don't really like it. My one big thought from this game was um, if it wasn't for Jamar Chase having such a great start to his rookie season, I think that Micah Parsons should be the early favourite for rookie of the year. Well, they're well still defensive. Played. Yeah, even like, even as a defensive player, I think he's he's well. Yeah, true. He's going to be probably the front runner by a mile for the defensive rookie of the year. But he's been fantastic so far, and I think that they've they've probably found his home in the fact that he's going to be a a pass more employed as a pass rusher from time to time, using that athleticism. It just seems like like you like you said before, Tom. They're just simplifying things, and it's working out for them. Mm-hmm. Not trying to be too too complicated. You've got this freak of an athlete, just let him loose and get after the quarterback. It's very, very simple very simple play but I'm, I'm really high on Dallas after the start they've made so far this season. Really, really high on Dallas. Yep. yep. Um, and Ezekiel Elliott had a great great game for a backup running back. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Calling the shots. Man. He's, he just he just looks better every every snap that I've watched so far this season. Every time Tony Pollard's in, he just seems to have more burst, there's more energy when he gets the ball in his hands. I'm I'm all for leaning on Tony Pollard this year. Mm. Perhaps you're right. Yeah, um, I'm pretty much happy to sort of leave that here. Um, thanks for joining us, James. It's been an absolute blast. If anyone does want to find out exactly where you can hear more from James or see more from James tell us where you can find us uh... we are well as previously mentioned we are I have a little show called uh, the franchise 33 NFL show um, I am the host of it which has been really refreshing tonight not having to uh, look after Ben Mark and Taib so thank you very much for that guys that was really good <laughs> it's all good um, it's all you can find us on Spotify 
iTunes, um, on Audible, Amazon Music, all the your major podcasting sites you can find us on. And yeah, just come and check us out, and uh, I'm sure we'll have one of these two wonderful gentlemen on our show at some point in the future. Yeah, I know that Ed's already uh, been over, but when's my turn, baby? Whatever you like, Tom. We might have to, uh, <laughs> we might have to draft you in to, tomorrow because uh, Mark's been incredibly quiet. Great. I'm so excited to be able to discuss that game at length for a second episode in a row. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> you Steelers fans, one defeat. <laughs> <laughs> no, in fairness, like if you'd if you'd have seen that performance out of the Vikings, I can guarantee you you would be saying the exact same thing. Anyway, it's been an absolute blast. You can find us on the you can find us on Twitter at StiffLipPod, um, and stick around because we'll have more in the future. <laughs> <laughs>